This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. A look at the results of the GE15 tells us that Malaysia is politically polarised. Pakatan Harapan won 37% of the popular vote, followed by Perikatan National with 30% and Barisan National with 22%. In fact, Perikatan National, anchored by PAS, managed to win almost the entirety of the support deep in the Malay heartland, namely the northern and east coast of Peninsula. So what does that mean for politics and race relations in Malaysia? Joining me on the show to unpack this is Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. Welcome to the show, Badrul. Thank you. What does the GE15 results tell you about Malaysian politics today? You mentioned just now about the percentages. And this is actually something that has been an ongoing trend um, since at least GE14. Probably even you know since GE thirteen actually, um, and what we see now as more um, parties are out there and becoming more mature in terms of their own um, coalition and their own positions in the community that they sort of represent. You know there are more choices for people to choose from, and then you know um, it's just natural that you know the percentage is sort of. Um, divided uh, between all these three major coalitions. Would you say that Malaysia is polarized right now more than it has ever been? I wouldn't say it's more. I I mean, we are in a polarized society, um, but to say that it is only happening now and it is not something that we've always had might not be entirely true and not, you know... um, not really looking into uh, our own history. I mean, just the fact that we are a country that consists of you know people with major differences in terms of history, in terms of worldview and values. It's it's not surprising that we have very different view in terms of our political leaning. Um, what we see now is more choices. Like I said earlier just now, before this, there, there, are, there aren't that many... Um, major coalitions um, you know we have a major coalition in peninsula and then in sabah and sarawak but within this within peninsula for example there, there weren't you know uh, any contender you know if you look at three or four elections before um, but then there's also you know if you want to look into a little bit longer than that the idea of you know post independence people are trying to sort of having this uh, togetherness you know coming into coming together as, as a new country united people that kind of stuff probably that sort of you know made uh, easier at that time for people to vote across uh, ethnic lines or identity based um, but as we are moving away from that as we are more looking inward and how we are going to mature politically and how other political actors are coming in and trying to say, oh, you know, that's the old way. You know, now we have different things that we want to pursue, different values that we want to push for. So it's, it's uh, natural, I would say. How would you describe the polarization in Malaysia today? What is it that is driving this polarization and, and what exactly are we polarized about? For the most part, it is. It is about identity. And the, the main 
or the major identity markers from Malaysia is our race and our religion. Uh, we don't really identify ourselves other than that. I mean, there are, you know, regional identification uh, class, which is not really uh, that strong. Um, so we go to those elements that we are familiar with, race and religion. Uh, it also has to do with the fact that we've been living in a society where these two elements, you know, it's nothing, something that we cannot run away from in terms of um, you know, policies, in terms of we, when we talk about conversation about anything, it's always about racial lines, it's always about religious lines. Uh, even we want to decide to go and where to eat, you know, <laughs> uh, as much as we like our, you know, the different kinds of food, it's always about, okay, well, at least from, you know, Malay uh, Muslim perspective, it's always about, okay, can Muslims go and eat at these places? So it's always been around uh, that racial and religious you know, line that we look into how we deal with our everyday activities, um, you know, which can be unfortunate, but that is the, the reality that yeah. we are living in. Why is this our reality? And why do Malaysians um, place so much emphasis on ethnic lines when voting, but not just voting, right? Voting is just the final product of that. Like you mentioned, uh, the, the our entire lens, the lens in which we use to view the world, to view our communities, to view everything, including food, so on and so forth, education, everything is so intrinsically linked to race and religion, as opposed to, let's say, a more meaningful a way of looking at politics, perhaps from a class struggle perspective. Why is it that we Malaysians, um, it's not perhaps not just a Malaysian problem, but why is it that Malaysians are so fixated on, on race and religion? National identity is something that we haven't really resolved. Um, and it is unfortunate for us that we don't really have a lot of references to look into. What I mean by that is to look at countries that have a similar history and similar makeup in terms of the demography uh, that we can sort of learn from. A lot of you know, countries that we tend to look into in terms of how we how we try to learn about nation building, how we try to learn about the national identity uh, issue, has always been very homogenous society where it's an easy decision for them to go into one direction. The you know, national identity is this. Uh, and the other ones are sort of minority uh, identity or secondary minority. We don't really have that kind of similar makeup. Malays majority. It's not by far. It's 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 only a you know a slim majority that um, you know Malays are more than than any other races. Um, so it's not something that we can just easily you know push for a dominant, uh, which is not the right way to do it anyways. You know, um, and even if there are countries outside that have sort of multiple identity or you know uh, multiple national identities of language and all that, they are still sort of geographical based. If you look at certain European countries, for example, where there's German and French and Italian language, but they are put in different geographical, they're sort of segregated in geographical lines, which we don't have that. <laughs> we are more segregated in terms of urban and rural divide. Right. So th that kind of different um, history and different um, makeup of the society that we are in makes it difficult for us to look for any other choices. And the, ten, the ones that we tend to look, uh, you know, doesn't fit really. Right. And that's just one element, you know. Yeah, I think you bring up a fascinating point about 
national identity, right? Um, because the same kind of problems that we see in Malaysia, when we look at, let's say, other very diverse countries like the US, it's just almost similar problems. We have a lot of racial politics, a lot of identity politics, uh, compared to, let's say, in a country like China or something, where that is slightly less and you have more um, class-based politics, perhaps. Uh, how would you account for the geographical polarization in Malaysia? Maybe it's not prominent um, as other markers, but when we look at the map of GE15, right, um, if we just hone in on peninsula, uh, because I think a lot of the polarization is happening here, um, if you look at the entire West Coast, I would say a large 85 to 90% is, is red, um, Pakatan Harapan, mm -hmm. while the East Coast and Northern regions, either you have the Barisan National or Perikatan National. What accounts mm -hmm. for this polarization? One element about our political uh, culture is that we are very personality-based. And all these different segments of party bases they're very much tied to who are the main figure of that party. If you look at Pakatan Harapan, for example, a lot of the main figures in Pakatan Harapan are based in urban areas and West Coast. So, you know, uh, and PAS, for example, is the exact opposite. You know, who do you know uh, PAS from Johor? PAS, uh, uh, you don't, we, don't, we never heard of them. Maybe there, maybe there is, but, you know, we don't know. So, so that sort of gravitate the kind of uh, voter base that they have. Um, for example, PAS used to be very strong in Kedah um, before, before the you know, current state. But for a long time, it was only based in Kelantan and Terengganu because the figures are from that state. So only recently they sort of come back to, to, to the north. So it, it has to do with that. And at the same time, it has also to do with presence, which is sort of tied to this as well. You know, um, we don't see, I mean, I was able to sort of move around during the campaign period over, you know, around Peninsula. And, um, and be before that, you know, I, I tend to sort of, because uh, I come from East Coast and all that. So I, I sort of have a kind of an idea, the difference between East Coast and West Coast and all that. Right. And there's just lack of presence in, you know, in these spaces. Um, I mean, past and uh, UMNO has bet better in terms of making sure that they have some kind of presence in each state. But if you look at Pakata Harapan, <laughs> they are almost not existed in Kanta right. and Tengganu. So it's 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 a no-brainer that they're going to lose that stake. Absolutely. I think that's that's a very good point. Um is there is it fundamentally due to that? Um what you're talking about, visibility, presence. Um, because while we don't know the exact breakdown um of um, of in terms of ethnicity yet, um, which ethnicity voted for who. We, we need more granular data in terms of that. But here's what we do know. We know that Harapan won zero seats in Kelantan, Terengganu, and Perlis, um, one seat in Kedah, and, and two in, in Pahang. Why does Pakatan Harapan struggle to penetrate these areas? Um, is it solely due to visibility? I think it's a combination of a few things. Mm -hmm. Um well, well, for this election in particular, I would say the main uh, motivation for Malay votes, or even non-Malay votes, I think, is actually anti-corruption. So that was actually the main driver who people would choose who to vote. Then the second tier would become would be um, which 
party that is not corrupt. So then it goes to the sort of identity and visibility part. If you take PAS, for example, they are very much part of the local community. They are part of the Surau community. They are part of the village community. Whenever people want to say, uh, want to have some kind of celebration, for example, a little small wedding celebration or a little, we call it akikah, for example, if you want to celebrate uh, successes or you want to celebrate something, you go to the Surau, you, you, know, you tell people in Surau, and then they will chip in, they will help you out, you know, that kind of stuff. If you are in trouble, if some, a member of your family passed away, who are the first people who are going to help you? People from the Surau. They're going to help you with all the, you know, different factors of, you know, dealing with the, with the, with the, with the disease and all that kind of stuff. With the prayers and all the way to the grave. These are very important, you know, everyday struggle and everyday celebration also that people in uh, Malay community, uh, that, you know, that this is part of their life. So if you are not going to be present there, then chances for you to be able to talk about something that is beyond that talk about politics, talk about the, the nation, it's going to be very difficult. Who are you to talk about that when you're not even part of the community? And that is something that Pakatan have always struggled with because you can't just simply go somewhere during election um, period, you know, to add to that, not even before that, and suddenly talk about policies, suddenly talk about corruption, suddenly talk about, you know, our country should be like this, our country should be like that. This worldview is, is wrong, this worldview is correct. No, it has to be a consistent engagement so that people will feel that they are part of uh, what you are trying to pursue. Absolutely. I think this is something I want to dive a little bit deeper into, but we do need to go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. After the break, I ask him how PASS managed to make massive gains. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research and we're talking about why Malaysia is polarised, how PASS managed to make massive gains, basically dissecting the results of GE15. So, Badrul, I think you brought, um, brought up very, very important points about grassroots presence and how it, it has helped PASS um, you know, make massive gains, not just in GE15 specifically, but it's an ongoing process over the many, many years, right? Can you speak to me a little bit more about that? Because um, apart from grassroots presence, um, they also have very good, um, you know, presence in schools, in, in like they have like um, certain hold in Islamic schools, and they also have very they have also used social media. I think a lot of times when people think of social media, people think, oh, Said Sadeh is the guy, is the TikTok guy and all of that. But clearly, PASS has been using social media very effectively as well. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of all the things that you mm -hmm. mentioned. First, uh, when we talk about presence and, you know, their, their continued engagement in the community. So that's a major thing. Uh, and like you, like you said, also beyond Surau, also they have kindergartens. They have school, they have other activities outside of school for their, uh, for their children and all that. So it's a whole program that they have that not many other political parties have. Um, and they have the added element of these are religious uh, activities. So um, not only you do that for the party, you also do that even if you don't support uh, PAS. But if the active 
surau in your community is a is a park surau, you know, you would still go to that surau just to do those religious activities, which then will give opportunities for pastors to sort of, you know, recruit or, you know, at least show, uh, share some kind of idea or political agenda that they have. Um, and at the same time, we do live in a country where racial and religious element has been consistent. Even in the West Coast, we've, we're very much segregated. And if you look at the life of Malaysians, for example, you go to, I mean, most people are from, uh, you know, uh, same ethnicity family, <laughs> same race family. All right. And then you go to, uh, you know, the same school where you only see mostly people from the same ethnic group. You go, your religious activity is still people from the same ethnic group because our divide is not only ethnic, but, you know, ethnic and religion the same, you know. And then uh, activities outside of school, you don't, you don't hang out with people from outside of your ethnicity anymore because of certain either geographical segregation, but also because of certain preferences of public life. You know, you don't want, you want to go to this place, you don't want to go to that place, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so, and then with the idea of our policies and our politicians are also harping on to this, you know, identity, this race, this religion, all that. So a combination of that, uh, in a society where political education is not something that we have been consistent in doing, when it comes to voting, people just say, okay, I'm just going to go for people that I am familiar with, people that I think is going to help me push for what I believe in, which is very much, you know, based on race and religion, um, right. which is kind of unfortunate <laughs> because Absolutely. then we don't really get to talk about, you know, actual policies that is uh, important for everyone. It seems to me that PAS understands politics better than any other mainstream party in Malaysia um, because they understand that politics is not just about convincing people to vote for you. Um, it is about planting ideas in heads. And they take that part of it very seriously. The grassroots organization, mobilization, the you, some, you can call it indoctrination, you can call it brainwashing, but... I, I, I guess my question to you is, does the progressive bloc have the opposite of that? That means the same thing that is past is doing, but the opposite, something that is progressive in nature. PH sometimes calls themselves the, the nation's democratic bloc, but it seems like Pami Reza did more to teach about democracy you know, then Pakatan Harapan as a whole, like his classes and, and whatnot. Pakatan Harapan does not seem to have that. Well, I would say that even... Pakatan Harapan has no real interest in actually advancing political education in the country. <laughs> because, you know, when you're in a situation where the rules of the game are set, the only thing that you try to do is how to win within the rules of the game. So you don't try to sort of, you know, influence it in, in any other way. Also, given the fact that I don't think they have the kind of capacity in terms of resources and support. People who vote for, you know, Pakatan can be a bit more they are not as um, sincere as past support, the supporting past, I would say. Right. Um, I might be wrong, you know. <laughs> but, you know, they are not real um, supporters, the kind that past have. At least right. they're core-based. But at the same time, if you look at um, at least the previous Pakatan Harpan government, for example, uh, who are their real allies that they actually should work with? Civil society. But did they actually work with civil society um, during their first tenure? No. 
they were hope they, they they gain support from civil society group to win in 2018. But the minute they won, either people from those CSOs jump and become uh, part of the government, or they are just you know not part of the discussion anymore. They're not part of the nation. They don't. They didn't even try to do nation building. So that's one thing. Again, uh, civil society is their allies. They, they, they were not engaged. And if Pakatan is going to do the same thing this time, then they are going to face the same trouble because what you need is champions. You need people to champion you. And this is, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking for Harapan right now, for Pakatan Harapan, which is, I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> they should be doing it themselves. Right. Um, but, you know, if they're really serious in terms of gaining more um, presence, gaining more support from the public, they need to get people to champion them. And the only way for them to do it is to engage, is to include everyone. On another hand, <laughs> civil society is also in <laughs> the, our, our own problem. <laughs> we have our own troubles. You know, We don't have the resources. We don't have the discipline uh, to actually continue, continuously engage with the community that uh, we want them to be part of uh, our agenda. How many do you see people, civil society group actually do grassroots work? How many of them actually do long-term campaigns to make sure certain things are you know, getting pushed in the parliament principle? There are a couple of civil society that are very good at it, but in general, I mean, I don't want to point fingers, but you know, look at Bursi. What have they been doing for the past four years? You know, I mean, they're making noise here and there, but then it requires more than that. It requires engagement. You need to go and reach out to the public uh, and, you know, share your agenda. See if they can be part of that agenda or not, if they agree with it, if they don't persuade them to agree with your agenda and then push into politicians so that they will take up. You know, we, we never do that. We don't really have that culture of people pushing putting pressure in for politicians to to accept the people's agenda. We we just vote for them and then hope that they will fight for us. Right. No, it's a continual struggle that we cannot stop if everybody has their role to play. You know, we push for the politicians to make policies. The reward that they get is we get they get their vote. But that is a reward. You don't give them the vote and then just let them, you know, allow them let them lose and do their work. No. What what we should create is a culture that politicians know that if they want to win in five years time they need to listen to the people now not two months before elections and just say they're going to do it but for people for us to be to reach that point civil society activist group and the public needs to do our role of continuing putting pressure on the politicians Absolutely. And to put a big pressure, we need a big support from the public. So we need to engage the public first before we engage the politician. What does it mean for a block that considers, considers itself progressive, but a large percentage of the poorest people in the country do not vote for you? Because when we look at historically um, what progressive politics means, um, when we look at uh, historically the, the pro-Rakyat politicians and all these kinds of mm -hmm. things, right? Not just in Malaysia, in, in all over the world. It, it's about gather, uh, what organizing the masses against the elite. You know, that's your progressive. And the, so generally speaking, the poorest people will want to vote for you if you manage to organize them, right? If mm -hmm. you are a 
political bloc that considers yourself progressive, but a large or a majority of your support comes from, quote unquote, urban, educated bubble, and you're not extending yourself into the more rural areas and, and so on and so forth, then what does it mean as a, as a progressive bloc? What is that? What are you representing? Well, my first answer, quick answer to that would be, uh, if you talk about Pakatan Harapan, for example, mm -hmm. they've never been a champion of the poor. They've always been a champion of the technocrats, of the so-called learned people. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem that Pakatan has, you know, the kind of people that become their main leaders and the kind of campaign that they push is not actually to champion the poor. Mm -hmm. If I'm not saying they don't care. I'm sure they do. Well, at least I give them the benefit of the doubt. But in the way that they uh, present themselves, the way they campaign themselves, the way the, the kind of issues that they, that they push for and the way they create the discourse within those issues that they want to champion for has never been seen as pro people who are on the bottom of the society, for example. Then that's their first mistake, I would say. They never really challenge status quo. If you, if you look at, you know, if you look at the current manifesto, the recent manifesto they come up with, then you see, okay, there are a lot of elements there that's really trying to, you know, push for change in status quo to make sure that people in the bottom of the society are more taken care of, that kind of stuff. But even during the campaign, did they really talk about the manifesto? Not so much. So how should Anwar Ibrahim manage a, manage a polarized Malaysia moving forward? Because the country is polarized, especially around religious lines. Um, you know, we, and we are seeing all the messages that have been coming out and, and the narratives that have been, uh, that are that's continuously being pushed out by Prikata National, for example. Um, how, how should Anwar Ibrahim manage this, both in terms of messaging, but also policies? First of all, I know that currently their main focus is on issues of livelihood and economy, which is very important as well. But equally important is nation building. And this is something that the previous Pakatan Harapan didn't even bother to do. Uh, so if you take that into consideration, what Anwar needs to do first, and he's in a very unique position that he might be able to do this, not only because of who he is, but also because the government that he's leading is a uh, mixed government yeah. where you actually have different you know, elements and different parties that represent different communities. And you can leverage that to actually go around the country and uh, you know, start a nation building program. <laughs> Um, you know, you, some, it can be something that's as easily as, you know, starting with, you know, touring different states and, you know, making sure that, you know, he is in tune with everything that's going around in different places, uh, working with civil societies that is not just, uh, you know, based in uh, KL or, you know, friendly states, but also civil societies outside uh, in the rural areas that crosses religious and racial line as well. Um, and push for that kind of messaging that we are a nation, we all have differences, but we all 
if something wrong is going in the country, we are going to be able to uh, have to face it together. So that is the kind of messaging that he needs to do. Um, in terms of policy, I think that we need a, a longer discussion in terms of what other kind right. of policies that needs to be pushed for, what kind of programs that we should uh, you know, develop. But the idea of nation building is very important, is as important as fixing uh, economy and livelihood issues that you know, people are dealing with right now. Because again, you look at the tiers of how people vote. They vote you know, anti-corruption and then they vote identity. And that is right. not going to go away at least anytime soon. Absolutely. So just one last question before we wrap this conversation up. And it's related to what you just said, right, about touring the country and, and all of that. Um, does Pakatan Harapan and this mixed government um, need a strong unifying message, a message surrounding what Malaysia is, an alternative to what Perikatan National is uh, suggesting what Malaysia could be and, and so on and so forth. Something that unites Malaysia beyond just anti-Najib, anti-Barisan, anti-corruption and all these things. I mean, now Barisan is part of the fold anyway. Um, so I guess because for the longest time, they have just championed this. this yeah. I mean, they've just jumped on this anti-corruption narrative. That has been their driving force for many, many years. But anti-corruption is not an identity of a country. Everybody wants to be anti-corrupt, right? Anti-corruption, yeah. right? So is that something that Harapan needs to start focusing on? Yes, we do need a fresh vision of the country. And that takes a lot of work because first we need to understand what are the different visions that we already have right now and do they align with each other or do they diverge? So we have to figure that one out and then at the same time have sort of a compass of where we want to go and then really campaign to get everybody, you know, you know, be part of this new vision that we want to pursue. So that would be one of the things that I would say Pakatan Harapan or the current government needs. And not just the current government, Malaysia as a country. Moving forward, we do need this. We do need to know where we're heading, what kind of country we want to be, and how to get there. On that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. That was Badrol Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.